Amen. I want us to read Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. And uh, tonight we're going to teach on uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit, the theology of the Holy Ghost. And uh, this is a study that if you were to take it in Bible school, it would be called pneumatology. Pneumatology. And that starts with a P, like pneumonia. Uh, pneumatology. And of course, pneuma has to do with breath or wind. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is the breath or the wind. So tonight we're going to study a little bit about the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Ghost, the uh, theology of the Holy Ghost, because this Sunday we're believing that God's going to pour out His Spirit, and I want your faith to be mixed together with my faith and there to be great expectation. And so that's what this foundation is for tonight. Uh, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. We'll start reading there. It says, Behold, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Everybody say, New covenant. And uh, verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This would be the covenant of Mount Sinai. The Bible says that this new covenant, Jeremiah prophesies, is not going to be like the covenant I made with their fathers on Mount Sinai when I brought them out of Egypt because my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So the covenant that God made with Israel is like a covenant that a husband would make to his espoused wife in marriage. And the Lord said, we made this old covenant with Israel, and they broke it. They broke the covenant, even though I was a husband to them. Verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'm going to put my law in their inward parts. Everybody say inside. inside. I'm going to put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So the new covenant, let's just make sure we understand this here. The old covenant was given by God to the children of Israel when they left Egypt and it was written on stone tablets, right? The Ten Commandments and then the remainder of the law. This was God's original covenant. This is a promise in the Old Testament that God said, I'm getting ready to make a new covenant, but it's going to be different from the old one because in the new covenant, I'm writing the law not on stone tablets, but I'm writing the law in your hearts on the inside so that when the law gets on the inside then I can be your God and you can be my people the only way we can have a covenant that will not be broken it has to be a covenant on the inside it has to be a covenant in our heart it's not enough for it to be a list of rules and a list of expectations written on the outside on a wall or on a stone it has to be written in our hearts. Amen. So we're going to study tonight uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we pray, God, that you'd be with us over the next few moments, that you would uh, uh, cause our understanding to be illuminated, that our 
grasp of Scripture and, and biblical principles would go deeper tonight uh, as we study the Word of the Lord together. I pray for each person here, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be uh, given a fresh understanding of how important the Holy Spirit is, that we would thirst to be rebaptized, renewed, and refilled in the Holy Ghost, uh, and we would understand the Great Commission, which is to bring other people into the covenant, uh, to have them experience the life-changing power of the baptism of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Praise the Lord. So tonight as we study the Holy Spirit, we're going to study two things. First of all, we're going to study the overall concept of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And secondly, as we drill down a little bit, we're going to study specifically what the Bible teaches about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when we start, we're going to find out what is the Holy Ghost? What is the Holy Spirit? Now, most of us understand right off the bat that the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit that was poured out on the church in the book of Acts. But when you study the Bible, you realize that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament as well. It's not just something that happens in the New Testament. People would be impacted or touched or empowered by the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. And when people were touched by the Holy Ghost or received, in a sense, the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament, it was to empower them for service. So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew language, the word was Rosh HaKodesh, Rosh HaKodesh, which means Holy Spirit. It is a term used in uh, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible and Jewish writings to refer to the Spirit of Yahweh or the Spirit of Jehovah. So certainly the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost was no different than Yahweh or Jehovah. It just referenced Yahweh or Jehovah in action and impacting the lives of people. It literally means the spirit of holiness or the spirit of the holy place, the Shekinah glory where God dwelt on the mercy seat there between the cherubims in the holiest of holies in the tabernacle. So the Holy Spirit means the spirit of the holy place or the holy spirit. And um, in, in Judaism, it also referred to uh, the divine aspect of prophecy and wisdom. It was God speaking. It was referring to a divine force, the quality and the influence of Jehovah, the one true God as he is working through or over his creatures in whatever context he needed to work. This is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. It is Jehovah working among his people. All right? However, one thing that we learn is no one was baptized with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. This is something that is exclusive to the New Testament and exclusive to the New Covenant. The old covenant was law written on stone. 
the new covenant was law written in our hearts through, we're going to show you tonight, through this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, to baptize, the word um, uh, is often used to describe the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Baptize means to plunge in or to dip under. That's why uh, um, uh, baptism in water means to plunge in the water or dip under the water. This is the baptism of water. But the Bible talks of the baptism of the Spirit. This means to be immersed or saturated and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, to let you know and make sure you understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a New Testament thing, and it didn't happen until after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and glorified, okay? Anybody got that? John chapter 7, verse 39. Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come to me. This is during Jesus' ministry. And uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers. Look, go to verse 38 real quick if you can. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus said this in the feast day in Jerusalem. And uh, he lifted up his voice. He shouted this out. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I don't know about you, but if... I didn't know anything about church, didn't know anything about Jesus, and I just saw a man walking along, and, and people were listening to him. All of a sudden, he started shouting, if you believe on me, like the Bible says, a river's going to flow out of your belly. I'd be like, wow, what's he talking about? Amen. And no doubt, there were people that were wondering, what is Jesus talking about here? So the next verse, verse 39, in parentheses, explains what Jesus was talking about. Verse 39, but this, what's this? The river flowing out of the belly. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For, at this point, the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So the spirit, the baptism of the spirit was something that was going to come after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So as we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, that the old covenant was God's agreement with Israel. They came into covenant so that God would show forth his greatness through Israel. And he would use them as a witness and a testimony to the world. The problem was the old covenant was being broken. The old covenant had deficiencies. The old covenant had shortcomings. And the number one shortcoming was the people weren't able to keep the old covenant. But as we read the Old Testament, Jeremiah Ezekiel, Daniel, towards the end of the Old Testament, we get this clear understanding that a new covenant is coming. A new covenant is coming. It's not the old covenant of laws that people have to obey 
to be in agreement with God. It's not the old covenant of circumcision of the flesh that has to happen for a person to be in covenant. It was a new promise that was coming. Let's look at some verses here. First of all, Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19. This is speaking of the new covenant. It says, I will give them one heart. God says, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. This is talking about the same thing that Jeremiah was talking about, about the law written in the heart. It's a new heart that you're going to get. Your old heart was stony. It was uh, resistant to God's will. But the new heart, when God gave you a new spirit, was going to be a heart of flesh. This is the promise. And then in, in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 27, Ezekiel 36, 27, same principle. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So this is the same, you guys getting it? This is the same thing that Jeremiah was predicting. Now Ezekiel is predicting as God breathes through him. God says, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And when the new spirit comes in, when the new heart comes in, when the law is written in your heart, now you will be able to do what I want you to do. Now you're going to be able to walk according to God's direction. Now you can stay in covenant with God. But without the new covenant, without the new heart, without the spirit on the inside, then we cannot uh, please God. Amen? We cannot obey God. And there's a lot of people in the world who have not experienced the baptism of the spirit and have a will or a desire to please God. And it's very frustrating because they're trying to obey a list of rules. But when you receive the baptism of the Spirit, you get God's law, God's desires, God's dictates, God's statutes on the inside so that now you can live according to the will of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, so we're transitioning, okay? Everybody with me? We're transitioning from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament prophets, and now Jesus appears on the scene. This person who was prophesied to his mother's name shall be called Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. This was the Messiah. This was the seed of the woman that was going to crush the head of the serpent. And when he appears, his ministry starts by him showing up at a water baptism service being held by the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. Now, it's not like they had made this plan when they were kids that John was going to go out and be the forerunner and prepare the way, and then Jesus was going to show up. This was ordained by God. John had influence. He had followers, and his message was, repent. Turn away from your way of thinking in order for this new thing to happen. In order for a new blessing to come, you've got to turn around. You've got to get a new mind. And so John was preaching about repentance and people were being baptized with, in water, a baptism of repentance. Many people were being baptized and following the teaching of John. And all of a sudden, John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, 
But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This is the same spirit that Ezekiel prophesied and Jeremiah talked about that was going to come into your, our lives and change our hearts. Uh, John said, I'm baptizing you a baptism of repentance, a baptism of water toward repentance. But G the one that's coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then when Jesus appeared on the scene, John pointed to him, said, there he is. Behold, look, there's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. I baptize you with water toward repentance, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Praise God. Praise God. So this promise of the baptism of the Spirit, which was going to, um, going to be an upgrade over the old covenant, it was a new covenant of God's Spirit in us, God's law coming into us. But I want to pause right now and let you know that I believe that it was God's plan from the very beginning for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't believe that it was a plan B. I believe it was plan A. And the old covenant was a schoolmaster to lead us to the real plan. The old covenant was a shadow pointing to the real body which is Jesus Christ on the cross, purchasing our salvation, washing us and atoning us with his blood, and then filling us with his spirit uh, so that we could live victorious uh, by having a new heart uh, and his spirit on the inside. I believe this. I really, really believe this. Amen? I believe that you were created to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? The Bible says it this way. First uh, Corinthians six nineteen. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Don't you know that there is a treasure in your body? And your physical body is just a container, but the most valuable thing in the world is on the inside, and now you become the temple of the living God. You become the dwelling place. You become the tabernacle of the presence of God. And here's what I believe. I believe you were created to be the tabernacle of the living God. That's why God created you, to be the dwelling place of God's Spirit. And so some people ask the question, well, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit essential or necessary? Well, absolutely. Because you have a void in you that was supposed to be filled with Him so that you could be the temple of God. And if He's not on the inside, you're going to be hungry for Him. You're going to be incomplete. You're going to feel empty, amen? You have a God-shaped void inside of you. Every person, we were created in the image of God. He breathed into us the breath of life. And we have a spot inside of us that was designed and created for the Holy Spirit. Praise God. 
And when people have not received the Holy Spirit, they don't even realize, many of them, that they need it. They just know something's missing. And so they try to fill that spot. And many people get way off the deep end trying to fill up that emptiness on the inside. Some people turn to substances, drugs, and and alcohol to try to satisfy. You know why? Because they were created to be a temple, but they're an empty temple. They, They were created to be a dwelling place, but there's nothing dwelling within them. And so they're like, something is mis- something's incomplete, something's not right. So they try to cram into that God-shaped void everything else. Uh, addictions, uh, passion, pursuits, uh, relationships. Uh, and at the end of the day, they still feel empty and unfulfilled and dissatisfied. That's why, come on church, uh, that's why there's so many people in the world tonight uh, that need Jesus. They don't just need a word about Jesus. They They don't need to just hear the story of Jesus, but they need Jesus uh, to move into their heart, to move into their vessel so that they can be what they were designed to be, a temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, come on, somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's why it's important at Life Church. That we have people being filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not an afterthought. It's not a second blessing. It's not icing on the cake. It's the whole cake. It's Jesus on the inside. And when he comes in, then he can begin to change you and transform you and empower you. Amen? And great things can begin to happen when Jesus comes inside of you. Now, in John chapter 3, if you had your Bibles, you could jump through to John chapter 3 real quick. Jesus begins to teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says to this man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, well, we know you're from God um, because nobody else could do miracles. You you couldn't do miracles unless you came from God, so we know you got to be from God. And and then Jesus just, just hits him right between the eyes, boom, with this. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I've come to declare, establish, and preach the kingdom of heaven. It's not a, a nation. It's not a, 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 just a group of people. This is the kingdom of God. And you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. All right? So John's like, what? How can I get back in my mama's womb now that I'm full grown? And she's just a little bitty lady. How can I do this? And Jesus then said, Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. Jesus is saying, this is what I mean when I say being born again. You've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Then he says, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. So Jesus was saying, he said, okay, Nicodemus, you got to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. How can I be born again? I'm already grown. No, no, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about physically being born again. I'm talking about being born of the water 
and of the Spirit. And when you're born of the water of the Spirit, not only can you see the kingdom of God, but now you can enter into the kingdom of God when you're born of the water and the Spirit. So that's why I said you got to be born again. It's being born of the water, born of the Spirit, baptized in the water, and baptized in the Spirit. Amen. And then look, Jesus says something curious, the very next phrase out of his mouth. In verse 8, he says, the wind, the pneuma, the pneuma, the spirit, bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound or the voice of it. You hear the phone. That's the word. The Greek word is phone, like where phonics came from, sound and voice. You hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. He says, you can't see it, but you can hear it. This is true of everybody that's born of the Spirit. You can't see it coming, you can't see it going, but you hear its voice. This is true of everyone that is born of the Spirit. Isn't it interesting that a few weeks later, amen, A few months later, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and sent the apostles to the upper room, when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And so they couldn't, not everybody could see it. Not everybody could see it coming and going. You can't tell when it's coming and when it's going. But everybody that's born of the Spirit, you hear the voice of the Spirit. You hear the sound thereof. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Amen. Praise God. So the new birth is being born of the water and the Spirit, of being baptized as as uh, uh, John the Baptist said, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And this is how we enter into the new covenant. I want you guys to get this. The Holy Spirit baptism is not just about talking funny. And it's not just about goosebumps. And it's not just about, wow, that was an awesome experience. Uh, Everybody should feel that. No, it's much bigger than that. It's about God taking your old heart out and putting a new heart in. But before he installs the new heart, he puts his law right in your heart uh, so that now you desire to do the right things rather than being forced to do the right things. It's a huge deal. So that we can be in covenant with Jesus Christ. So there are some powerful things that happen through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that when we receive uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means it is proof that we are owned by God. That's what a seal was. It was, if if you got a letter and uh, it came from the king and it said King LeBron James on the front, you would know that it really came from the king instead of an imposter when it had his ring or signet sealed on the envelope. You knew that it really belonged to the king and came from the king. And so this is what the Bible is saying, that we are sealed with the spirit of promise. 
it is an indication that we belong to God. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. How many are thankful for the gospel? In whom also ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, until the praise of his glory. You know what this verse means? This verse means when you receive the Holy Ghost, uh, it was it was uh, the seal or the proof that you belong to God. But also the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just a little taste uh, of what we're going to earn in heaven. It's the earnest of our inheritance. It's just a down payment on what we're getting ready to inherit. It's a little bit of heaven to go to heaven with. Amen? It's a little taste of the promises of God as we're going to the ultimate promise. of. It's a little bit of his rest as we make a journey to the ultimate rest in glory. This is the promise of God, the seal of the Spirit that we belong to him. Amen? Praise God. And then in Romans 8, 11, it tells us something else about the Holy Spirit. It says, if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, if you are a temple for the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that Holy Spirit, he said, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or change your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. This is good news. This is good news for those of us that are getting older. This is good news for those of us whose body are full of aches and pains. This is good news for those who embrace their spouse for the last time and watch them take their final breath as the body is broken down and can no longer sustain the spirit. The Bible says if the Spirit that ra- if the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Jesus up from the, be- the dead, gets inside of you, if you get the Spirit inside of you, it is going to change your mortal bodies uh, by the Spirit uh, that dwells within you. My only hope uh, of resurrection from the grave, uh, my only hope uh, of making the rapture and getting to heaven, amen, and having this mortal body that's going to die put on immortality, which is eternal, is I've got to have the Spirit in me because it's fitting to change me. Bible teaches the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It changes our lives. It changes everything about us. But there's coming a day when it's going to change us in a whole different way. It's going to give my temple an upgrade. Hey, hallelujah. Come on now. Because you know your temple's not as fancy as it used to be. Your, your temple's getting a little droopy. Somebody say amen. But the Bible says the temple's going to be changed. The temple that's dying, the, t- the temple that's going to corrupt in the ground is going to be changed and made incorruptible, immortal through the Spirit. Come on, somebody. When you get the Holy Ghost on the inside, that's your promise of eternal life. That's your promise that the old aches and pains in the body are going to be changed. There's going to be no more tears, no more parting, no more death over there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's thank God for the Holy Ghost right now. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. And then in Titus chapter 3, it tells us something else about the Holy Ghost. We, we know that it's our, our proof of ownership that God owns us. And it's also the down payment of heaven. It's the power that's getting ready to change us when the trumpet sounds. And in Titus 3, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing, the regeneration, and the renewing that came from the Holy Ghost. Now, before we were saved, we were a mess. And we're not saved because we cleaned up, right? Some people, they won't give their lives to God because their lives are a mess. And they think they need to clean up before they approach God. They're going to be waiting a long time. Because you're not supposed to get cleaned up and get good in order to get God. This verse says, you get God, and then the Holy Spirit is going to clean you up. It's going to regenerate you. It's going to renew you. So you aren't saved by your acts of righteousness. Your your righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. It stinks in the eyes of God. Your good works turn God off. But when you come to him and say, fill me with your spirit, Lord. Change me and transform me through the power of regeneration. Take the old heart out, put a new heart in. Then we can be regenerated, renewed, and restored by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in another place that we are justified and sanctified by the Spirit of God. We're purged, we're cleansed, we're cleaned up by the Spirit of God. So the Holy Ghost, I'm here to tell you today, amen, is more than just a good feeling. It's more than just speaking in tongues. But the Holy Ghost is God coming in and changing us and making us a new creature and washing and cleansing us. Praise God. Hallelujah. Another thing the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit does for us I just want you to know that receiving the Spirit is all in all. It's what transforms us. It's what changes us. The next thing the Bible teaches us is that the Holy Spirit begins to provide direction for us. It begins to lead us. Because a lot of times we don't know what we're supposed to do. And the Holy Spirit is designed to to lead us. John 16 and 13, Jesus said of the Holy Ghost, says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit leads and guides you. And then uh, um, also the Bible says in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, says, I would not have you to be ignorant. Oh, no, no, let me jump here to uh, Romans 8, 14. I'm sorry. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit of truth leads us, guides us. The Spirit of truth, when we are led by the Spirit, we are the sons and daughters of God. If we don't have the Spirit on the inside, how can we be led by the Spirit. 
We need to be baptized in the Spirit because once we're baptized in the Spirit uh, and we, Brother Steele, when we abide in the Spirit, uh, then we can be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? Now back to 1 Corinthians 10.1. I love this verse because it brings clarity to the idea of the Holy Spirit guiding us. It says in, in, uh, um, in 1 Corinthians 10.1, it says, Moreover, brethren... I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All of them were under the cloud and passed through the sea. What in the world is this talking about? Anybody know what this is talking about? It's talking about an old story. This is the Apostle Paul, but he's talking about our fathers. What is it, Brother Chet? The book of Exodus And what specifically was that? When they came out of Egypt, they did two things. They were under the cloud, and they passed through the sea. When did that happen? Well, when they came out, they had to come through the Red Sea. They passed through the water. They were baptized through the water. And then they were baptized in the cloud. Now, what was the cloud? The cloud was the Spirit of God. It was a pillar of cloud that led him by day, and at night it was a pillar of fire. But look at what the next verse says. They all passed through the sea. They were all under the cloud and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the writer is saying here, when they came through the Red Sea and when they were baptized in the cloud... This is similar to how you and I were baptized in the water and baptized in the Spirit. And just like coming through the water separated them from the old life and from the Philistines, when you're baptized in water, you are separated from that old nature, and the old nature is buried, and you come out as a new nature. Just like the old things that used to bother the children of Israel, the taskmasters, the uh, soldiers of Pharaoh were buried in the Red Sea and they came out with newness of life. And then it says, like you were, they were baptized in the cloud. This is how it is when you're baptized in the Spirit. Now, what did the cloud do? The cloud began to lead them. Where did it lead them? Well, first of all, it led them to Sinai where they could get God's law. And the Spirit's going to get you to a place where you learn how to quit breaking God's law and learn how to come in line with God's law. The cloud, as they were baptized in the cloud, it led them to Sinai and eventually led them to the promised land where God wanted them to be. And if you are baptized in the Spirit, it first is going to take you to a place where you learn to obey God. And then after you pass Sinai, you might have to go through some tests. But if you keep following the Spirit, eventually you're going to end up where God wants you to be in the perfect will of God. Come on. So the baptism in the cloud, baptism in the water separated them from the old life. The baptism in the cloud led them to where God wanted them to be. The Spirit of God being in us and being baptized in the Spirit is what is going to determine our direction 
and us learning how to obey God and ending up where he wants us to be. Another thing, and I'm drawing closer to a close, is the word comfort. In John chapter 16 and 7, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. This word in the New Testament, comforter, is used for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. Now, the Greek word that's translated comforter, anybody remember this word? Paraclete. Parakletos. Paraclete. This is the comforter. And what it means is one who comes alongside to comfort and console. One who comes alongside to encourage or uplift one who comes alongside to refresh or even intercede on our behalf like an advocate or a lawyer in the courtroom this is the paraclete this is the comforter the holy spirit is the one when we're going through the difficult times because even in serving god you're going to face difficulties Even in serving God, you're going to experience disappointments. Even in serving God, amen, sometimes you're going to fail and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get off track. But thank God for the paraclete that comes alongside to encourage, to strengthen, amen, to uplift, to comfort, and to console. That means I don't have to go through the trials by myself. I don't have to face the difficulties by myself, but he's coming alongside. And there are times when you're not even going to feel like you can keep going. Anybody been there before? Where you're just slumping. You're just barely struggling to stay on your feet. And the Holy Spirit then comes along, picks you up. Amen. And all you're doing, moving your legs, just doing the pulling. Amen. Somebody described it this way. They described it as when, uh, uh, like being yoked together, like two oxen that are yoked together. And uh, the Holy Spirit comes along and gets under the yoke with you. And when you can't bear it any longer, it comes and picks up part of the load and begins to pull part of the load. And for a while, some of you know, sometimes he's just having to carry us along. Because we can't make it on our own. And then we get our second strength. I'm so glad that when I go through the trials of life, when I am discouraged, when I face impossibilities, that I don't have to give up, I don't have to quit, I don't have to become fearful, because I have been baptized with the comforter, with the paraclete, and he is there to help me when I need him. Praise God. Come on, somebody. Praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the last one that I, that I want to mention to you is how the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as being our rest. Entering into the rest that God has. In fact, the reason that the law 
of the Sabbath is no longer required specifically of New Testament Christians. The Apostle Paul said some people esteem one day above another, some people every day alike. It's not necessary any longer. Is because the Sabbath rest is fulfilled through the baptism of the Spirit. And that doesn't mean we don't need to take days off anymore. We still have frailties in our flesh. But the ceremonial purpose of the Sabbath is fulfilled when we enter into His rest through the baptism of the Spirit. Now, in, in the Bible, there are two symbols of, uh, of the baptism of the Spirit. Two symbols of uh, the Holy Ghost. Does anybody know what those new, those two symbols from the New Testament for the Holy Ghost that you see oftentimes? What are the two? Number one is the dove. Number two, the fire, right? The fire and the dove, the flames of fire, the baptism of fire, the tongues of fire that appeared when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and then the dove. And the reason that the dove is a symbol, a biblical symbol of the Holy Spirit has to do with Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. But not just this passage, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the same story at the baptism of Jesus Christ when he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. In Matthew 3.16 it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. It wasn't a literal dove that came down on him. It was the Holy Spirit, and as it was coming down, it had the characteristics of a dove. Luke chapter 3, verse 22 says it this way. The Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so from this time on, the form of a dove, or picture of a dove, was one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit. And the thing about a dove is a dove is not aggressive and mean and powerful and strong. It's very gentle. And, and the same is true of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that forces its way in, slaps you around, but it's very gentle. And you can sear your conscience. You can reject the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't say, I'm going to knock the door down. He said, I'm knocking. It's gentle, like a dove. That's why the Bible says, quench not the spirit, because it means you can stop it. Just like you can chew away a dove. You can quench the spirit. But the spirit descended like a dove. And one time, several years ago, I, I, I found this interesting. So I said, a dove, the Holy Spirit is compared to a dove or likened unto a dove. And so I decided to study the dove in the Bible because we interpret Scripture with other Scriptures. And so I'm like, what is the significance in the Bible of a dove? So whenever I want to do a study like this, the first thing I do is look for the very first mention of something in Scripture. The law of first mention has significance. It means that whenever a concept or a principle or a doctrine is first mentioned in Scripture, most of the times it's in Genesis. 
it has significance and kind of sets the tone for the meaning and the purpose of this theme or doctrine throughout the Bible. It's the law of first mention. So I said, where was the dove first mentioned in Scripture? Well, it was in Genesis chapters number, chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. You remember the story of the dove? Pull that up. Pull up verse 8. It says, also he sent forth a dove from him. This is the first mention of dove in Scripture. To see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. This is Noah's ark. Noah sends a dove out. Look at verse 9. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot and returned unto the ark. The waters covered the earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto the ark. Then verse 10, story goes on. And he stayed yet another seven days and again sent forth the dove out of the ark. What happened? Verse 11. And the dove came into him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Well, the story goes in verse 12. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. Why? Verse 13 says why. And it came to pass in the 600 in the first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground The face of the ground was dry. Now, here's the point I want to make. The dove was sent out three times, and what was the purpose of its mission? The dove was on a quest for rest. And when the dove found no rest, it came back. And on the third day, the dove found rest and stayed. So I see a connection from the very beginning between the dove and rest. So I'm like, well, let's see if this goes any further. So I looked the second time a dove is mentioned in Scripture, and it's in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalm uh, chapter, what, what Psalm? Psalm chapter 55 and verse 6. This is the second time a dove is mentioned in Scripture. And it said, and I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. So from the very beginning of scripture, we see a theme that develops that a dove has to do with finding rest. A dove has to do with a quest for rest. I don't think it's strange that when the Holy Holy Spirit appeared, it appeared in the form of a dove. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 11. Look at what the Bible says here about the promise of the rest. It says, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Verse 12. 
And he says, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. It was through stammering lips and another tongue that the message came through with stammering lips and another tongue. This is the rest that would cause the weary to rest. I want to tell you today that when the Spirit of God came like a dove... It came with a message, and the message is uh, you don't have to look anymore. You don't have to be anxious anymore. You don't have to be fearful anymore. You don't have to be on a quest anymore. You have found the rest uh, that God has promised. Come on, somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 18, says, who, who are the ones that died in the wilderness? It's to, to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Who was not going to enter in? Those that believed not. That's uh, verse 18 in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. He said, you're not entering into the rest because you didn't believe. So we see that they could not enter in, verse 19, because of unbelief. Entering into the kingdom, entering into his rest, being baptized in his spirit, you will not be able to if you don't believe. But when you believe in the promise of rest, you will enter in. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear. The next verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us, entering into rest, any of you should come short of it. He said, watch out. The apostle Paul, that's the writer of Hebrews, says, be careful because God gave them the message that they could enter into the rest of the promised land and I don't want any of you to have a promise and not be able to enter in because of unbelief. But when God gives a promise Believe the promise and you can enter into the rest. God has given us a promise of rest and I don't want any of you to fall short of entering into his rest. Amen. And this rest is not talking about when we get to heaven. This rest is not talking about when we get to nursing home or when we get in the grave. This rest is talking about the promise of the baptism of the Spirit. This is the rest and this is the refreshing. Praise God. Amen. And so when a person is baptized in the Spirit, there are many things that changes in them. But the first thing that happens that we see in the Bible in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17, first of all, it says, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. They received the Spirit. And people gathered around and saw them, and they looked like they were drunk because they were filled with the Spirit. They weren't drunk with wine, but they were filled with the Spirit. And they're jabbering in different languages that they'd never learned. And the people are like, what's going on here? What is happening? What meaneth this? 
Peter stood up and began to preach. And he preached to them that this is the promise of the Old Testament of the outpouring of the Spirit. Where, uh, where the, the, the prophet Joel said, In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Peter said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that the Spirit would be poured out. This is that happening. And while Peter is preaching, he said, There was a time when David said, I saw my Lord on my right hand. And in Acts 2.26, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and therefore my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. David said, when I found out who God was and saw him there, I rejoiced and my tongue rejoiced. Another translation says, I begin to dance and my tongue begin to dance in my mouth as well. Something happened when Dave realized, David realized who it was that he was serving. And this is what was happening, that when they received the Spirit of God, they rejoiced and their tongue began to rejoice in their mouth as well. Hallelujah. Praise God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 45, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, those that were not Jew, that, that were Jews were astonished that non-Jews received the Holy Ghost, all those that had come with Peter. Because why are Gentiles receiving the Holy Ghost as well? How did they know they were receiving it? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So I think it's pretty cool. That when God decided to divide the nations, he confused the tongues. And when he decided to bring us all back together, it was with speaking in tongues. And now it doesn't matter where you come from, what color you are, what ethnic background, what language you speak. You come into the kingdom with a new tongue. Amen. With a new language as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Now, the last thing I want to do, my wife told me, she said, I'm taking care of the kids, so do a favor to your wife and keep it short. Amen. Or else I'll release them into the sanctuary. So that could happen any minute. But I want to talk about Sunday as we see the baptism of the Spirit poured out on Sunday. Now, the Bible teaches that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, first of all, people need to repent. Because when the people saw Folks filled with the Holy Ghost, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. That's why John's message was a message of repentance, because you cannot be baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire without repenting. That means a change of mind and a change of direction. That means asking God to cleanse you and to forgive you of all sins and to wash you. And so on Sunday... When we uh, are praying for the baptism of the Spirit, we're going to start with repentance. And anybody that wants to receive the Holy Spirit, they've got to start with a time of repentance. So if you're wanting to help somebody and they want to receive the Holy Ghost, you explain to them and show them in the Bible that the first thing you've got to do is to repent of your sins, to ask God to forgive you, and to tell God, I want a change in my life. I want a change of my mind and a change of direction because you cannot be baptized with the Holy Ghost 
being keeping going the same direction that you've going it's got to be a point of turnaround a point of change a point of decision where you decide to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ so it starts with repentance you've got to ask the Lord amen to forgive you and you've got to believe because the Bible teaches if you believe you shall receive but without faith it's impossible to please God you've got to uh, believe that God is going to fill you. In John seven thirty nine, we read, This spake he the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive. So after you repent, you begin to praise and worship the Lord and believe that he's going to fill you with the Spirit. A lot of times when people want to receive the Holy Ghost, they struggle with feeling like they don't deserve it. Well, let's get over that because none of us deserve the Holy Ghost, if you think about it. The Holy Spirit moving inside of you, your body becoming the temple of the Holy Ghost, what kind of an idiot would think that they deserve it? Would think that they are worthy. None of us are worthy. But repentance makes us worthy. Repentance prepares us for the baptism of the Spirit. And if you had to be worthy to get the Holy Ghost, nobody would have the Holy Ghost. Because it's the Holy Spirit coming in that then cleanses us and makes us worthy of God's vocation. Amen? It's not that we become worthy and then the Spirit comes in. We just repent. Uh, We ask the Lord to forgive us. Uh, We lay our hearts and open it up to Him. And then His Spirit comes in and He can do the work. Uh, But you got to believe. And so somewhere along the way, you've got to get rid of that pitiful thinking of, Oh, I don't deserve this. I can't get this. This isn't for me. Forget that. Uh, You've got to believe. Amen? That if my four-year-old daughter can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If a 98-year-old man can receive the Holy Ghost. If a murderer and a drug dealer in a prison can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If somebody struggling from all manner of backgrounds can receive the Holy Ghost, then you can receive it because it's for you and your children and all them that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So if you want it, that means you're being called and you can receive it. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. And while you're praising the Lord, just let him know, I want the Holy Ghost. I'm ready. Because you got to ask, Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen. Say, so you ain't even a good guy. But if your kids ask you for something, you're going to take care of them. You're, you're not even perfect. You've got issues and problems. But if your kid's hungry and says, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? You're not going to give them a, a piece of stone and say, Oh, look, he broke his tooth. Isn't that cute? <laughs> if somebody asks your son says, Hey, Dad, can I have some chicken? And, and you give him a live snake. You're not going to do that. You're going to take care of them. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit uh, to them that ask Him? He's going to pour it out. Uh, if people want it, he, come on, somebody. Let your faith begin to go now because the Lord is going to pour out His Spirit uh, upon all flesh. Amen. Let's stand together right now. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. So on Sunday... When we come here, you're going to have gone to the byways and the highways and compelled people to come. Now, let's not be, I don't want anybody to bring anybody in in handcuffs or anything crazy like that, but, but uh, 
Here's one way you can compel people. Chicken dinner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Amen. Come on out. We're going to have a good dinner, a good time of fellowship. We're going to hang out, laugh, have uh, a good time and games and all, all of that. But get them to come. Get them to come. Come be with us. You know what? It's not as hard as you think. Amen. Uh, you know one, one way you can get people interested about coming out to the house of the Lord is tell them that, uh, that miracles happen here. You can tell them that uh, um, uh, people get healed from cancer, um, that blind eyes get opened up. Amen. It's happened in our church. Amen. That uh, people that are sick, got a limp, their, their, their limbs are crooked, that the power of the Spirit can straighten those limbs. And you'll see people, be, their eyes will get big, and they'll be like, are you serious? That stuff really happens? Yeah, that stuff happens. Right. Amen. And, and invite them to come out and, 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 and let them know that there's going to be restoration and healing that happens in this place. And you're like, how do you know that's going to happen? Because I believe it's going to happen. Amen, because I'm expecting it to happen. Anybody else expecting it to happen this, this weekend? If, you're, if you believe, you shall receive. Come with faith. And come with expectancy and bring somebody that has a need. Now, when they come up to the front and, and uh, we, we have a call for people to receive the Holy Ghost, um, then, then you're the best one to help them, okay? And don't be nervous and don't, don't sit back and say, okay, we're going to wait for... Um, Brother Maddox or Pastor Brown or this person to come by, you bring them up and encourage them to come. And when we pray the prayer of repentance, we're going to explain it. And then you repent right alongside of them. Repent, repent right along with them. And uh, ask God to forgive you of your sins because it might do you good to get a good refilling of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen, somebody? Praise the Lord. Amen. And let the Spirit of God touch you and bless you. But when it comes time to help them receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's time to pay attention to helping them. And uh, so uh, we're going to have altar workers that are going to work. But if you want to pray with somebody to receive the Holy Ghost, here's a couple quick tips. Um, Don't put your hands on ticklish places, okay? I mean, you would think this, you shouldn't have to say this, but I see people come pray for people and pray for them like right here. Oh, God. Hallelujah. And, uh, and then they see the person doing that, and they're like, oh, they're getting the Holy Ghost, and they really go after it. So, so you don't have to tickle the Holy Ghost into anybody. Be conscious of that. In fact, if you're praying for them, uh, just get in front of them and make it as natural as possible, okay? As natural as possible. That means if you're going to pray for somebody to get the Holy Ghost, and they're your guest, and they've never been around it before, and you get in front of them, don't be like this. <laughs> okay? Because they're going to be like, Oh, my God, get me out of here. Like, what's up with this place? You know, you just normal. Hey, this is a normal, everyday thing. People get the Holy Ghost all the time. So you just stand in front of them. If you want to have a conversation with them, hey, uh, did you repent? And you believe that God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost? Um, we believe that God's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit right now. And we're just going to say the word of faith. I want you just to lift your hands and begin to praise the Lord. When I lay hands on you, because that's another thing I forgot to mention. In the, in the uh, New Testament church, they said the gift was by the laying on of hands. 
and that also the apostle uh, Peter and John, when they went down to uh, Samaria, they lay hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we're not laying hands on them just as some kind of a, a, a religious ritual. This is scriptural, that, that we lay hands on them, amen, to, to uh, see them receive. We're not giving them the Holy Ghost. We're not like handing it to them, but we're doing what the scripture says, lay hands on them and let the Spirit of God be poured out, all right? And so when, when they begin to pray, when they begin to worship God, you can just put your hand on their head and just say, Lord, fill them with the Holy Ghost right now in the power of the name of Jesus. We'll be kind of helping you, but just pray with them, amen? Pray with them. And then don't quit and give up, get discouraged if they don't speak in tongues right then. Maybe they need to repent a little bit more, amen? Maybe they're a little nervous and they need to relax. And that's one thing, in order for them to receive the Holy Ghost, they need to relax. So if you're doing anything to make them nervous or anxious, then you need to relax, all right? And just be normal, be normal because we want them to relax. Hey, God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost right now. It's going to be awesome. It's going to feel good, and it's going to change your life. It's just real simple, amen? And you just begin to pray for them and believe that God is going to fill them with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when they get it, just praise God and rejoice. And as their tongue begins to go and uh, they they begin to stammer, their their mouth begins to stammer, you can just let them know, that's it. The Bible says with stammering lips and another tongue, he would speak to our people. That's That's how it begins. Just voice it out and encourage them to speak. And as they speak, just let them know, that's it. That's it, that's it, that's it right there. Like, how do you know that's it? Well, who's going to be speaking? Unless they already know Spanish and they're speaking Spanish, that's not it. That's just them praying in their native tongue. But when they begin to let their tongue go and it begins to be something that they're unfamiliar with, that's the, that's the first sign that they're being baptized. That's the voice, that's the phone. Everybody hears the sound of the Spirit. And they're like, we can tell he's getting the Holy Ghost. He's speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Praise the Lord. One more time before we leave, let's lift our hands and ask God to pour out the Spirit this weekend. Can we do that? Lord Jesus, we thank you today, Lord God, for your presence, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the promises of your word, and we pray today, Lord God, again, we agree together, Lord Jesus, that you would pour out your spirit on people that are hungry for you, Lord God. There's people, Lord Jesus, that need their lives changed, that need to be impacted through the power of the spirit. Come on, lift up your hands and believe him right now. I feel faith rising right now. In Jesus' name, God, we believe that you're going to pour it out. We believe, Lord Jesus. Come on, that's it. Just praise him. Just praise him right now. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you even right now on Tuesday night. Can you praise him? Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Praise him right now. Hallelujah. Praise him. Pray, pray, pray in faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Jesus. We believe you for your promises. We believe, Lord God, you're going to pour it out upon all flesh. We believe, Lord Jesus, you're going to add people to the kingdom. We believe the Spirit of God is going to fall on people tonight and this weekend. That's it. Reach over and pray for that person next to you right now. Hallelujah. Pray for God's anointing to be upon them. Pray for the anointing of the Spirit to to be upon him right now. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for him. I pray for her, Lord Jesus. Anoint them powerfully with your Spirit, Lord God, for your will to be done in them and through them. In the name of Jesus. 
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God can fill somebody with the Holy Ghost right now. God can refill somebody with the Holy Ghost right here and right now. That's it. Just praise Him for a minute. Hallelujah. Pour it out, Lord God. Pour it out, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Shandayara.